scripture this morning is from John chapter 5. Please stand for the reading of scripture. John chapter 5. We'll work through the whole chapter, but I'll read verses 1 to 18 at this time. Uh, Let me say by way of announcement that uh, tonight uh, I'll begin a study through the book of Revelation at 5 p.m. Please come to study Revelation with us. John chapter 5. Verse 1, after this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roof colonnades, and these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. And it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. May God add his richest blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it gives light. And we pray that by your spirit, you would enlighten our minds in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Renew our wills and change our hearts that we might embrace Jesus Christ as he is freely offered to us in the gospel. And we pray that you do this in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. Equal with God. The account of the crippled man at the pool of Bethesda seems largely negative. Notice how he responds to Jesus who had asked if he wanted to be healed. Look at verse 7. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. He seems more interested in wallowing in his misery than getting his problem solved. 
Also, notice how this man reacts when the Jews get after him about carrying his bed on the Sabbath day. Look at uh, verse 11. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. He seems to throw Jesus under the bus. Go after the man who healed me. It's his fault. Look at verse 15. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. He really looks bad compared with the blind man Jesus heals in chapter 9 who when the Jews get after him defends Jesus staunchly to his own detriment. Furthermore, notice what Jesus says to him in verse 14. Look at it. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you're well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. It seems to indicate the man's malady had been the result of a sin, either a judgment or a consequence of it. Again, it is strikingly negative compared with the man born blind in chapter 9, you remember they asked Jesus, which man sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither. This man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God might be manifest in him. But here, Jesus indicates possibly the man's problem was because of his sin, and definitely that if he sinned, something even worse was going to happen to him. So the account begins with what by all appearances is a strikingly negative character, healed. And after he's healed, he continues to be just as negative, even more so. And then when the Jews get involved over the fact that this took place on the Sabbath day, it turns even more negative. And the passage concludes with Jesus telling the Jews that in rejecting him, they have rejected the Old Testament scriptures they claim to follow and that they will be condemned. But amid all the negativity of this passage, there is the most beautiful reality that exists in earth or in heaven. And it is the relationship of God the Father and God the Son. The theme of the entire chapter stated in verse 18, look at it. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Jesus says that God is his own Father and thus he is equal with God. Now let's look at it and see what the equality of the Father and the Son has to do with this miracle and these negative characters. Let's see what it has to do with us. First in this passage, you see like Father, like Son. Like Father, like Son. Look at verse 16. This is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing all these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father's working until now, and I am working. You know, in every Sabbath controversy, and the Gospels 
are full of them where Jesus is accused of breaking the Sabbath. He never gives the easy answer, which was simply that he was not breaking the Sabbath law. And the man he'd healed was not breaking the law when he picked up his bed and carried it. That did not break the Sabbath laws in the Old Testament as the Jews had accused him in verse 10. It may have violated their rules, but it did not break God's law. But Jesus did not give the simple answer, I did not break the law when I healed him, nor did I make him break the law when I told him to pick up his bed. Instead, the answer he gives, verse 17, my father is working until now, and I am working. And the Jews, though they did not understand it, did at least catch the weight of what Jesus had said. They were ready to kill him. Verse 18, because he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. You see, when Jesus says, my father is working until now and I am working, he is saying, I am doing God's work. My work is God's work. Now, he doesn't mean that in the sense we sometimes say we're doing the Lord's work. No, he's saying what I am doing, my father is doing. To the Jews' way of thinking, Jesus was saying he was another God. You know, they weren't Trinitarian thinkers, those Jews. And for someone to claim equality with God in their minds, he must be claiming to be another God. Only a God could be equal with God. And so in verses 19 and following, Jesus proceeds to explain to the Jews that his equality with the Father is rooted in his unity with the Father. In other words, Jesus is equal with God, but not because he's another God. He is equal with God because he is one with God. Look at verse 19. So the Jews said to them, truly, truly, or so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. You see this beautiful description Jesus gives of his relationship with his father. He does what he sees his father doing. His father loves him and shows him all that he is doing. Perhaps Jesus is drawing from his experience growing up in Joseph's carpentry shop, learning what his father did, and then doing it himself. And in some way, his eternal relationship with his heavenly father is like that. But you see, Jesus is saying two foundational things about his relationship to the father. First, 
He never acts independently of the Father. And second, he does exactly the same things that the Father does. We see both his equality with the Father and his unity with the Father. He can do everything the Father does. He is equal with the Father. But he only does what the Father does. He does not act independently of him. He is one with the Father. Now you notice at the end of verse 20, Jesus says the Father will show him even greater things and Jesus will carry them out. Then he goes on to mention the two biggest things God will do in the future, that is raise the dead and judge the world. Look at verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. These are things that only God can do. Of course, the prophets Elijah and Elisha both raised the dead as God's agents by his power, but the power of Jesus is different. You sit to the end of verse 20, he says he gives life to whom he will. No one but God can do that. Keep in mind, he said in verse 19 that the Son can do nothing of his own accord. But here in verse 21, he says the Son can raise whomever he wants from the dead. He and the Father have one will. Of course, Jesus has a human will, must be submitted to the will of his Father. That's why I prayed, not my will but thine be done. But the eternal Son of God and his Father have one will. So the Son, who can do nothing of his own accord, can yet do whatever he wants. Because what he wants is what the Father wants. Because he and the Father are one. One God. One will. Look at verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Now look at verse 28. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. In both cases, the voice of Jesus raises the dead. Verse 28 is the future. It's the final resurrection coming out of the graves. But, but verse 25 is present. He says, the time is now. How were the dead coming to life When they heard Jesus then, look at verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. 
That's what Jesus had said to Nicodemus. You must be born again. You need new life. The woman at the well heard the voice of Jesus and believed. And believing his word, she passed from death to life. But the point of all this is that only the words of God himself have the power to raise the dead. And Jesus says it is his words that raise the dead. Therefore, his words are God's words. He speaks the words of his father. Now look at verse 26. For as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. Again, you see, the son is just like his father. The father has life in himself. That means he was never created. Remember when I was a little fella asking my granddaddy, who made God? And I remember my granddaddy said to me, don't think about that son or you go crazy. The child asked Jesus, who made God? Jesus would have said, he has life in himself. No one gave him life. Our parents gave us life. But no one gave God his life. He always is. I am. That I am. So in verse 26, Jesus says something that sounds bizarre, if not contradictory. He says, The Father gave the Son life in Himself. But wait a minute. If He has life, if the Son has life in Himself, no one gave it to Him. If the Father gave it to Him, He can't have it in Himself. Can He? You know, God is way over our heads, otherwise it wouldn't be God, would he? And our little minds, the inner being of the blessed trinity is very mysterious. But here's what we can know because Jesus told us and he wants us to know it. The Son is equal with the Father. He is as eternal as the Father. He is as uncreated as the Father is uncreated. He has life in himself just as much as the Father does, but he is not a separate God. He is the Son. And though the Son is in no way whatsoever eternally inferior or subordinate to the Father, in fact, the Son is not one second younger than the Father. They're both eternal. He is yet the Son. I can't explain how Son can be as old as his Father. Not made by his Father. Not subordinate to his Father. But still be the begotten Son of his Father. And really be the Son. Not just some illustration. He really is the eternally begotten Son of God. I can't understand it. 
much less explain it, but Jesus himself said it in John chapter 5 and verse 26, and so it is true. And we have to believe it. What's that got to do with anything in my life? I know you're wondering, what's this got to do with anything? Maybe my granddaddy was right and I did go crazy. Oh, this is important. This is God. This is who God is. To be saved, to have eternal life, we must know God. And this is something God has told us about himself. He wants us to know this. He wants us to know him. Now we'll come back to that. We need to move on. You see, like father, like son. Secondly, you see the witnesses to the son. Look at verse uh, 31. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Now what Jesus says about himself is true, but you know, in the mouths of two or three witnesses, a testimony is established. Plenty of people have run around claiming to be divine, but what validates their testimony? Jesus here mentions four witnesses that validate his testimony, and you'll be glad to know we'll only look at the fourth one. But they are John the Baptist, his own works, God the Father himself. Jesus is doing the works of God, therefore God the Father is testifying through the words and works of Jesus. But let's focus our attention on the fourth and final witness to Jesus, the Old Testament scriptures. Look at verse uh, 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. These Jews search the scriptures. They read the Old Testament, but they missed the point. The Old Testament testified of Jesus. Now you see, this is why when they came after Jesus about healing the man on the Sabbath day, Jesus did not just say, I didn't break the Sabbath. That would have been true. But it would not have addressed the real issue. The real issue was that they were reading the Old Testament all wrong. The point of the Old Testament was standing in front of him. The point of the Old Testament is Jesus Christ and that they go to him for eternal life. But they were using their twisted interpretation of the Old Testament to attack Jesus. They wanted to kill him. The very one of whom the Old Testament spoke. That's why Jesus went into this long theological discourse rather than just say, I didn't break the law. You see, like father, like son, the witnesses to the son, and thirdly and finally in this passage, you see the question of judgment. Look at verse 16 again. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. The Jews were persecuting, says they were persecuting Jesus. Because they judged he broke the Sabbath. Where are the Sabbath regulations? In the law of Moses. They were using Moses to judge Jesus. But look at the end where Jesus takes them. Verse 45. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. 
There is one who accused you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Moses does not judge Jesus. Moses accuses the ones who were twisting him to accuse Jesus because Moses testified to Jesus in the law. No, Moses is not the judge, and these Jews were not the judge. No, the judge of all the earth is Jesus. Look at verse 22. The Father judges no one, but is given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Jesus is the judge. God the Father has committed the judgment to him and him alone. He will call the dead from their graves and his voice will raise some to everlasting life and others to everlasting damnation. And I have a word to you, a promise straight from the judge himself. Look at verse 24 one more time. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. There is a person. The judge promises there is a person who does not come into judgment. There is a person who has everlasting life. There is a person who already in this life has passed from death to life. Who is it? Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me. You see why it's so important? All that business about the Father and the Son to be saved, to have eternal life, to pass from death to life. You must hear the words of Jesus and believe the one who sent him. In other words, if you would be saved, you must believe that the Son speaks the words of the Father. If you would be saved, you must believe that the Son is the Word in the beginning with God. You know, the gospel is God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and this is what his only begotten son means as far as we can go with it anyway you know at the beginning Jesus asked the crippled man do you want to be made well and he never said he did he just grumbled about not being able to get into the pool but Jesus is here and perhaps he's asking you, do you want to be made well? 
would you like to pass from death to life? Would you like not to come into judgment? Do you want eternal life? Would you like to rise to the resurrection of life? Do you want to be made well? Then hear his word and believe that his words are the Father's words. That to see the Son is to see the Father. Believe that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.